Good morning. And grace and peace to you. Brothers, I'm not hearing very many male voices on the bass line. You can sing it. Sing out. Let's hear those male voices singing that bass. All right? Mike mentioned in the announcements about the Pray 31. I pray you're continuing to do that. Uh, as he said, we're about halfway through today. Uh, Charlie and I have viewed the movie War Room last night. Powerful movie. You should see it. About prayer and faith. God is the one we need to help us through this time in this country. And of course, he's the one to help us, each one of us individually, day by day, in the doing of his will. So pray, pray, and pray some more. We've been having some lessons on power. We talked about the power of the grace of God. We talked about the power of sin. We talked about the power of prayer. Today is the power of the word of God. I've made reference numerous times, and I encourage you, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Whatever we find written in this book, all right, this holy book, and we have titled it Bible, but that is simply a transliteration somewhat of the Greek word that means book. God's book, the holy book. Whatever we find written in here first originated in the mind of God. Okay? That is the word of God. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And that was passed on by the Holy Spirit then to the writers to those who wrote that down, whatever it was that God wanted written down. So the first thing, and I'm, this is, I'm still in the introduction here, but the first thing we have to understand about this book is that it introduces us to God. That's what this book is about. To introduce us to God, to show us God. God's working from the beginning God's working even before the beginning in what God is going to do clear to the end. The book is God's book, and it's about God. Yes, we're in the book. We're part of the story, but we're just part of the story. Okay? The book isn't really about us. It's about God. Let's go to Revelation 19. We know that that word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, as we read in John chapter 1. He was the word of God in eternity. He was not Jesus in eternity, okay? He was not the Son of God in eternity. Hebrews chapter 1 says, This day I have begotten you. All right, let's understand that. We had our little drawing on the board last week. 
Father, Son, who really should have been Word of God, then became Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Okay? But in eternity is the Word of God, a spirit, spiritual part of God. Look at this picture here in Revelation 19, starting with 11. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Here we see toward the end of things what God is going to do. Notice this, and I saw heaven open, behold a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True. I recall Jesus talking about himself being the truth of God. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's never changed. Even when he became Jesus of Nazareth, the Son, he's still the Word of God in the flesh, revealing to us how to live, revealing to us God, teaching us God's ways, however you want to style it. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh... He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And of course, we read in another place that that sword is, that's why he fights with his word. He will strike them with the breath of his mouth. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how patient God must be. Okay? I don't have it on your list. At Isaiah 55, 11, God says, you know, my word I send forth and it will accomplish whatever I say. It's purposes. You know, if God says something, it will happen. Do you know that? Even, and I'm talking about here blurting things out. I'm talking about the patience of God. How many of us as parents... Or even in other situations, we have blurted things out. If you do that again, you know, you fill in a blank. What have you said? Right? What if God did that? If you do that again, you're toast. You're done. In fact, if you remember some of the conversations he had with Moses about Israel in the wilderness, when they made the gold calf, and a couple other, when they didn't go in to conquer the land, uh, the ten of the spies says, no, we can't go. He was ready to, if he had said, I'm going to kill him now, you're dead, guess what? He had to do it. He can't take his word back. Now, if he puts an if there, it's different. But if God says something, He must do it. That's the way the Word of God is. So that's what made me think about the patience of the Word of God. The Word of God has tremendous power. We read in Scripture, you know, He just spoke and the world hold fast. 
All he did was say it, and it was created. Yes, it was in his mind first what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, and then he spoke it, and it happened. That's the power of the Word of God. It's divine power, it's otherworldly power, it's supernatural power. And I want us to see today how that word works in us, in you and me. Now, the scriptures I have here today, I mean, we could have had this lesson go on for, well, we wouldn't have been able to eat lunch, you know, and all what you ladies did today would, you know, it would all get cold and everything, so... But I've selected a few scriptures here for us to see the power of the Word of God that still works in us. And so many of us, so many Christians today, are, we're weak, we're stumbling, we're joyless, we're unhappy, and we bear no fruit because we don't know the Word of God, we don't study the Word of God, and we don't live by the Word of God. And when I say that, I mean daily. Moment by moment, being directed and guided by the Word of God. We're clueless. We're just kind of wandering around, playing it by ear. One sure way for a Christian to fail is not to read, study, and live by the Word of God. You will fail. You will miss it. You'll be wondering. You'll be frustrated. You won't get it. So I encourage you to read God's book. Yes, we've just gone through the prophet Zechariah. Yes, there are some difficult places in the book. Read what you can read. Understand what you can understand. Make it your aim. I hate to say habit your desire, your practice every day. Read in the book. Read it through again and again and again. Don't be satisfied with reading the book through once. Make it your practice. You're going to read this book the rest of your life. You want to know what's in there. You want to know what God's Word is. You want to know God. You want to understand. Okay, enough of that. All right, Hebrews chapter 4. I hope you can see I'm passionate about the Word of God, and not just because I happen to be standing up here and, you know, I'm a preacher. This is so important. The Word of God. The Word of God has power to discern what's in your heart. And I think maybe this is why some people don't read it, because it convicts us. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God, now as you read this, and as I was reading this over again, and as I've read this before, I'm thinking, you know, right away we we see the word of God is, and we think, okay, this book, all right? And I think it has to do with what's written on these pages. But the more I read these two verses over, the more I thought, you know, I think the writer is really talking about the word of God, Christ Jesus. Listen to this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Didn't we just read about a sword in a previous passage of Scripture in Revelation? 
piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There it is. You read that word and it says, you know what, Jeff? You ought to be doing it. You ought to be loving your wife like Christ loved the church and I'm not doing it. Wow, I ought to be convicted. I ought to fall on my knees and confess and say, Lord, help me do better. You ought to be giving generously, freely, abundantly. And I'm not doing that. That ought to convict me. I ought to fall on my knees and say, yes, Lord, I need to do better. But you know, we can brush it away. We can ignore it. We can not read it. But that's to our detriment. Verse 13. There is no creature hidden from, look at it, his sight, not its. His sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So again, I'm not saying, we're not talking about this word on these pages, but as we understand, this word originated in the mind of God first, didn't it? This is a living Word of God. That's what makes it different from any other writing on this planet. Anything that's ever been written or anything else that will ever be written. It's not the Word of God. Only this book is the Word of God. This is power, brothers and sisters. Only this book can show you the thoughts and intents of your heart. Am I sincere about serving the Lord? Do I really love him? Am I really humble? Am I really striving? Am I diligent? As you read and study this book, it will convict you, yea or nay. If it's yea, praise the Lord. God bless you. If it's nay, praise the Lord, you need to change. But you see, that's the purpose, part of the purpose of the Word of God and why it has this power. It's for our benefit. So it's a good thing that the Word has this power to convict us and to show us the thoughts and intents of our heart. Sometimes when we read, that's what we need to look for. Am I being straight up with God on this one? Or am I being selfish? Am I being honest with myself before God? Or am I really telling a big lie to myself like I'm really doing well? The Word of God will show you that. Second thought, let's go to Psalm 119 for the next two. And I can encourage you if you want, read Psalm 119. It is a lot about the Word of God. It isn't totally about the Word of God. It's about a person who is in great distress. We seem to miss this when we read. We think it's just about the Word of God. But this person is in such great distress that that's why they turn to the Word of God. They want its guidance. They want its encouragement. They want its help because they know that the Word of God will lead them through their time of distress. 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Many of you can quote that and you know it already. 
that the Word of God has power to illuminate your way in life. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else can show you how to find God, how to have salvation, how to be at peace, how to love one another. Nothing else can do that. Only the Word of God has that power to do that. You know, we think about the world and it's darkness. In fact, uh, Paul talks about the darkness of the kingdom of Satan and how cloudy things are out there and foggy and all the lies in the world. But the Word of God illuminates the path. It brings things uh, into clarity so that we can see them. And we know how to live. Now then it's up to us to follow that path, isn't it? Jesus talked about a straight and narrow way and a broad way that leads to destruction. Again, which path are you on? Are you on that straight and narrow? The one that's illuminated by God and shows us how to live and where we're going? I got this little thought here. We occasionally think about the yogi-isms, yogi Berra. Yogi said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. How true. If you don't know, here's the path. This word has the power to illuminate the path to God, the path to life eternal. And if you're not on that path, if you don't know that path, you know what? You're going to end up somewhere else. You will end up somewhere else. So read and study the Word of God to illuminate that path for your life. Okay, next thought. Psalm 119, 25 to 28. Here's one we sometimes overlook. Everybody has trouble and problems from time to time. The Word of God has the power to revive and strengthen you in the time of trouble. Yes, we need to pray, absolutely. We need to pray. We also need to take encouragement and strength from the Word of God. What do we read here? My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your Word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. You see? We've all been down, deflated, disillusioned. We've, you know, from time to time things happen. We lose a job. We lost our cool and said things we shouldn't have. Maybe we actually hit somebody. We went to that website again. We lied to somebody. Whatever it was, we failed. We're down. We're hurt. Revive me according to your word. We need to look at the teachings of God about his promises. We need to be reminded, though, you know, when the, when the devil hits us, when the world hits us with these things, 
You know, where it's like a punch, punch in the gut, punch in the face. And we, we tend to, you know, get off track, get off kilter, and we start to think about that. Oh, this is terrible, this is awful, and maybe it is. But we need to be reminded, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God says, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm over all things. I can take care of everything. I have already defeated the devil. Jesus already went to Hades and came back. He has the keys of Hades and of death. We need to be reminded of all those things. It's not over just because whatever happened to you or whatever you did, it's not over. God still rules. We need to read the stories of how God helped others. Joseph. Wow, what a story. You're in trouble. Read the story of Joseph. Look at, count all the times he was disappointed by his family, by friends, by his boss, by Pharaoh himself. Read it. Be revived. God says, you meant it for, or Joseph said to his brother, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Maybe God's working in your life for good. What about Moses? Killed the Egyptian, ran. Hiding out in Midian for 40 years, watching sheep. Yeah, I got it made. Ah, wait a minute. Not done with you yet, Moses. God's still working in his life. Ruth, beautiful story. Peter denied the Lord three times, went out and wept bitterly. Was God done with him? No, not on your life. Better read those stories. Better be revived and understand that God will still bless you. And the words of encouragement. Read through the Gospels. I love... John chapter 13 through John 17. As Jesus was facing the cross and he's revealing things to his disciples. Read those chapters. Incredible encouragement to revive you. Too many, when they're down, when they're troubled, find other ways to escape. Be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it just turning on the TV or watching movies or going shopping or sleeping. We all have our method. But we need to find our revival and our help and strength in the Word of God to deal with these adversities of life. And only the Word of God has that power because it's about God and His working through life, through history with people, and His promises to us through that living Word of God. All right, moving on. Romans chapter 10. You know this one by heart. The Word of God and only the Word of God has power to produce faith in you or in someone you love. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. No other word can produce faith in a person. No book of philosophy, no devotional. Now, I know devotionals are built on the Word of God and they're helpful, but this is the living Word of God right here. 
Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, or the word of God. As the word is read and taught and heard, its divine power reaches into the open and receptive heart and produces faith. There's a response. Again, yes, we can resist it. Yes, we can ignore it. We can pretend it's not there. We can build a shell around ourselves and obstacles and barriers. Yes, we can. A lot of people do. And God will not break those barriers. You have to tear them down from the inside. You need to humble yourself and accept what God says. Be open to his love. Be open to the conviction of sin. Be open to what he has done throughout the ages and what he wants to do for you. I think of Saul on the road to Damascus as a great example. You remember the story. He was against Jesus Christ and the church. He was persecuting the church. He was putting men and women, Christians in prison. He was ascending to the, to the uh, death of Stephen when he was stoned to death. He was holding the clothes of those who did it. And uh, the one uh, translation says he was on the way to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. I'm going to get some more of those Christians, and we're going to bring them down. I'm going to bring them you know, back to Jerusalem, and we're going to try them. And then something happened. And understand that it's the word of God that appeared to him now, wasn't it? Jesus of Nazareth, but the word of God. Saul. Saul, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. He's dumbfounded. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. What a moment. What a moment. Saul was blinded, went to Damascus. He was there for three days, fasting, praying, and thinking. What am I going to do? I've been persecuting. I've been wrong. I've been on the wrong track. I've been opposing God. Praise the Lord for Ananias, who was reluctant but obedient to God and went in to talk to Saul and says, Saul, the Lord talked to me and says he's got great things for you to do. Why don't you arise and be baptized and wash away your sins? And he did that very hour. Faith. Faith developed in that man in three days, maybe instantaneously, as he considered Jesus of Nazareth, the Word of God. Only the Word of God can produce faith in us. Related to that, the next passage, you know it, only the Word of God can save us. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel, of course, is part of the word of God. It's the centerpiece of it. In one sense of the word, 
in one very general sense of the word, the whole of Scripture is the good news, isn't it? From the beginning to end. The fact that God created and God is going to bring it all to pass and God will judge in the end. God is over all. God has provided salvation for his people. It's all good news when we see it that way. We sinned in the beginning as far as the human race. God was with us. He didn't give up on us. God's grace flowed. In time, Jesus came, became one of us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The cross, the death, we just celebrated and remembered the resurrection of Christ over sin in the grave. The explanation of all of that is in the Word. We're not going to be saved, folks, from reading novels, watching movies, playing ball games or video games, surfing the web or engaging in our favorite sport or activity. That's not going to save us or those whom you want to be saved, your loved ones who are not saved. It's the Word of God that has the power to save. That's the Word that must dwell in you and the Word you must live and teach to others so that they might be saved as well. Only the Word of God has the power to save. And our last thought from John chapter 12. The Word of God has the power to judge you. And only the Word of God. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. The word of God, the words of God. You see, there we can kind of see the connection between God the Father and the word of God because God the Father told the word of God what to say, didn't he? You know, that Godhead picture is, again, difficult to comprehend, but we see the oneness there as they continue to work together. But this should be encouraging for us, you know, because there won't be, for those who know this word and have studied this word, there won't be any surprises there on the Day of Judgment. God is not going to pull out another book to say, oh, I forgot to tell you about this. I wanted you to do this. That's not going to happen. It's all here. It's here. That's why we need to read it, study it, and live it. The Word of God. It will judge us on the last day. You know, the judgment will be for the righteous, well done, and are in. Good and faithful servant. What a great, great words. You know, sometimes we think of judgment, we only think negative, you know. It's all bad. Well, it is bad for those who have not served the Lord, and they'll be told, depart from me. But, you know, as far as Christians go, we want vindication. And I think that's right. We want to, to be shown to be right. And that's going to come out on the day of judgment. 
You know, so many in this life of trying to follow the Word, trying to follow God, and they have been misused, mistrusted, abused, put down, shoved into a box, however you want to style it, and you know they've been ridiculed and, and laughed off the stage, and you know taken out of power, taken out of their position, they lost their jobs, and a hundred dozen other things. But on that day, the wrongs will be righted. You see. And all those who have suffered that way, God is going to say, come here. This one's mine. She did what was right. Enter in. And all the other ones are going to be sitting there staring like, what? Because they don't get it. They don't know this book. They don't know God. They've been living by the ways of the world. So that judgment day is going to be sweet for Christians, those who have served the Lord. For those who are not serving the Lord, it's not going to be nice. I'll just leave it at that. As we close out, I want to go to Psalm 119. and want to understand why this psalmist says what he says after we've looked at this lesson. And as I said, there are so many other things we could have brought in here. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. The psalmist loved the word of God. He looked into it. He meditated on it. He knew he needed to have that word of God for life to show him how to live and to bring him to the day of judgment as a follower of God. I pray that you're studying, reading, meditating on and following the word of God. If you are, praise the Lord. If not, whether you be a Christian or not a Christian, you know, we can sit there and say we're a Christian and not be using the word of God to live by. And if that's the case, I say beware. You need to change. You need to dig into the Word of God, study it, live by it. If you're not a Christian, this Word produces faith. This Word can save. Maybe something we said to you this morning has moved your heart and you're ready to obey the Gospel. Praise the Lord. If not, and I've just raised some questions in your heart and you'd like to talk some more, then... I'm available, Mike's available, Mike's available, Don's available, whoever you might be comfortable with. Again, don't put it off. This is about your eternal destiny and about you serving the Lord and about hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Won't you come while we stand and sing?